Chapter Zero of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. No Quarter by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Zero prologue there is no page in england's history so bright nor of which englishmen have such reason to be proud as that covering the period between sixteen forty and sixteen fifty this glorious decade was ushered in by the election of the long parliament and i challenge the annals of all nations ancient or modern to show an assembly in which sat a greater number of statesmen and patriots brave as pure fearless in the discharge of their difficult and dangerous duties they faltered not in the performance of them shrank not from impeaching a traitor to his country and bringing his head to the block even when it carried a crown true to their consciences as to their constituencies they left england a heritage of honour that for long haloed their escutcheon and even to this hour throws its covering screen over many a deed of shame be a king am i not one in name nothing more ah were i a man and in your place what would you do give your island churls a taste of kingship as we know it in france my brother wouldn't let his subjects so beard him oh it's abominable ah chere for subjects your brother has a very different sort of people to deal with in france they're not yet come to clamouring for what they call their rights and liberties here in england we've got magna charter into their heads to a craze i'd have it out of their heads or have their heads off Seal. i'd reign king as king should or resign no not resign sooner than that i'd waste the country with fire and sword make it a wilderness it was henrietta wife of charles i who thus expressed herself to her husband they were alone in the gardens of whitehall palace sauntering side by side on a terrace overlooking the thames the afternoon being an unusually fine one as they made a turn which brought westminster hall before their eyes the angry fire and those of the queen flashed up again and she added anything but be dictated to by that canal of a parliament anything but let them go on as now how am i to hinder it henriette the king timidly interrogated dismiss 
send them packing back to their constituencies and let them prate away there as much as they please dissolve and do without them as you've done before that would be to do without money we so much need my subjects are determined to resist every tax levied under privy seal or otherwise i can no longer raise loan or sell monopoly your own secretary sir john wintour has just been telling me how the people of dean forest have been harassing him about the grant we gave him of its timber and mines impossible now to obtain the most insignificant supplies without their being sanctioned by this cabal called parliament then make the cabal sanction them but how cherie have a score or two of them arrested lodged in the tower and let monsieur tom lunsford take care of them he'll soon cure them of their seditious inclinings to do that were as much as my crown's worth if it'd be worth no more you may as well cease wearing it fling it into the thames or melt it down and sell it to the ludgate street goldsmiths for old metal shame of you charles you talk of kingly rights yet fail to exercise them fear it my subjects talk of rights too yes and you encourage them by your timidity ever on your knees begging this and begging that when a true king would command subjects indeed more like our masters but i'd teach them obedience what would they be without a king what were they born for but to administer to our wants and pleasures words worthy of a medici the sentiments of a queen two centuries and a half ago yet not so very different from those entertained by most royal personages at the present day and hour but few of them who would not sit placidly upon their thrones see subjects slain and realms reduced to desolation rather than resign crown or yield up one iota of what they are pleased to call their prerogative how could it be otherwise environed by sycophantic flatterers heads bowing knees bending tongues eternally repraising things in human shape giving them adoration as to god himself nay greater than to god how could it be otherwise not so strange that this proud pampered woman from her cradle accustomed to such slavish obedience should verily believe it but her due their rights she continued with a satirical laugh an absurd notion they've got into their saxon skulls ah oh, mon marie were i you for a month for a week 
I'd have it out. Stamp it out, I would. And to give emphasis to her speech, she stamped her foot upon the ground. A pretty foot it was, and still a handsome woman, she, this daughter of the Medicis, notwithstanding her being now somewhat passée. Ambitious as Catherine herself, that mother of a race of kings, intriguing, notoriously dissolute, not the less did Charles love her, perhaps the more, for the cuckoo's cry is a wonderful incentive to passion, as to jealousy. He doted upon her with foolish fondness, would have done anything she commanded, even murder. And to more than this was she now instigating him, for it was to stifle, trample out the liberties of a nation, no matter at what cost, in life or blood. Wicked as were her counsels, he would have followed them and willingly, could he have seen his way clear to success. Men still talk of his kindly nature in face of the fact, proved by irresistible evidence that he rejoiced at the massacre of the Protestants in Ireland, to say naught of many other instances of inhumanity brought home to this so-called martyr king. He may not have been, was not, either a Nero or a Thebaw, and with his favorites and familiars no doubt behaved amicably enough, at the same time readily sacrificing them when danger threatened himself. To his wife his fidelity and devotion were such as to have earned him the epithet uxorious, a title which can be more readily conceded. But in his affection for her, whether upheld by respect or not, there was a spice of fear. He knew all about the scandals relating to her mother, Marie of France, with Richelieu, and his own and father's favorite, the assassinated Buckingham, now sleeping in his grave. Charles more than suspected, as did all the world besides, that this same queen mother had sent her husband, king as himself, to an untimely tomb by a cup of cold poison. And oft, as the dark Italian eyes of her daughter flashed upon him in anger, he felt secret fear she might some day serve him as had her mother, the ill-fated mother of France. She was of a race and a land whence such danger might be reasonably expected and dreaded. Lucretia Borgia and Tofana were not the only great female poisoners Italy had produced. If you've no care for yourself, then, she went on with untiring persistence, think of our children. Think of him. 
and she nodded toward a gaudily dressed stripling of some ten or twelve seen coming towards them it was he who twenty years after under the seemingly innocent sobriquet of merry monarch made sadness in many a family circle smooching england's escutcheon all over with shame scarce equalled in the annals of france however enfant she exclaimed as he came up passing her jewelled fingers through the curls of his hair your father would leave you bereft of your birthright some day to be a king with a worthless crown the pauvre enfant a sly young wretch smiled in return for her caresses looking dark at his father young as he was he knew what was meant and took sides with his mother she had already well indoctrinated him with the ideas of divine right as understood by a medici peste exclaimed the king looking vexed possibly at the allusion to a successor were i to follow your counsels madam it might result in my leaving him no crown at all then leave him none she said in quick return and with an air of jaunty indifference perhaps better so i his mother would rather see him a peasant than prince with such a future as you are laying out for him sire the earl of strafford craves audience of your majesty this was said by a youth in the official costume of the court who had approached from the palace and stood with head bent before the king a remarkably handsome young fellow he was and the queen as she turned her eyes on him seemed to recover sweetness of temper i suppose my company will be de trop now she said then facing toward the youth and bestowing upon him one of her siren smiles slyly though she added here eustace bring this to my bedoir and she handed him a large book a portfolio of pictures she had been all the while carrying whether the king caught sight of that smile and read something wrong in it or not he certainly seemed irritated hastily interposing no henriette i'd rather have you stay contu placer a slight cloud upon her brow told the contrary charles too no he can go yes trevor conduct the lord strafford hither eustace trevor as the handsome youth was called bowing turned and went off the prince with him then said the king i wish you to hear what strafford has to say on the subject we've been talking of just what i wish myself she rejoined 
resuming her air of bravery if you won't listen to me a weak woman perhaps you will to him a man one of courage charles writhed under her speech the last words of it even without the emphasis on them they were more than an insinuation that he himself lacked that quality men are so proud of and women so much admire almost a direct imputation as if she had called him coward but there was no time for him to make a retort angry or otherwise even had he dared the man seeking audience was already in the garden and within earshot so swallowing his chagrin as best he could and putting on the semblance of placidity the king in silence awaited his coming up with an air of confident familiarity and as much nonchalance as though they had been but ordinary people strafford approached the royal pair the queen had bestowed smiles on him too he knew he had her friendship moreover that she was the king's master he had poured flattery into her ears as another minister courtier of later time into those of another queen perhaps the only point of resemblance between the two men otherwise unlike as her parian and setter with all his sins wentworth had redeeming qualities he was at least a brave man and somewhat of a gentleman what do you say to this my lord asked the queen as he came up i've been giving the king some counsel advising him to dissolve the parliament or at least to do something to stop them in their wicked courses favor us with your opinion my lord my opinion answered the minister making his bow corresponds with that of your majesty certes half-hand measures will no longer avail in dealing with these seditious gabblers there's a dozen of them deserve having their heads chopped off just what i've been saying triumphantly exclaimed the queen you hear that mon marie charles but nodded assent waiting for his minister to speak further at the pace they're going now sire the latter continued they'll soon strip you of all prerogative leave you of royalty but the rags ciel yes interposed the queen and our poor children what's to become of them i've just been over to the house proceeded strafford and to hear them is enough to make one tear his hair there's that hampton with heselrig vane and harry martin sir robert harley too talking as if england had no longer a king and they themselves were its rulers do you tell me that 
Strafford? It was Charles himself who interrogated, now showing great excitement, which the Queen's I told you so strengthened as she intended it. With your Majesty's permission, I do, responded the minister. By God's splendor, exclaimed the indignant monarch, I'll read them a different lesson. Show them that England has a king, one who will hereafter reign as king should. Absolute, absolute. Thank you, mon ami, said the queen in a side whisper to Strafford, as she favored him with one of her most witching smiles. He'll surely do something now. A little bit of by-play was unobserved by Charles, the gentleman usher having again come up to announce another applicant for admission to the presence. An historical character, too, historically infamous, for it was Archbishop Laud. Soon after, the oily ecclesiastic was seen coming along in a gliding stealthy gait, as though he feared giving offense by approaching royalty too brusquely. His air of servile obsequiousness was in striking contrast with the bold bearing of the visitor who had preceded him. As he drew near, his features that bore the stamp of his low birth and base nature were relaxed to their meekest and mildest, a placid smile playing on his lips as though he had never told a lie or himself done murder. Ah, fate, to all that concerned the other three, every secret of court and crown, for he was as much the king's minister as Strafford. He was at once admitted to their council and invited to take part in their conspirings. Appealed to, as the other had been, he gave a similar response. Strong measures should be taken. He knew the queen wished it so, for it was not his first conference with her on that same subject. Strafford was not permitted time to impart to his trio of listeners the full particulars of the cruel scheme, which some say, and with much probability, had its origin in Rome, for the guests of the gay queen, expected every afternoon at Whitehall, began to arrive, interrupting the conference. Soon the palace garden became lustrous with people in splendid apparel, the elite of the land still adhering to the king's cause, plumed cavaliers with dames old and young, though youth predominated, but not all of high degree, either in the male or female element. As in modern garden parties given by royalty, there was a mixture, both socially and morally, strange even to grotesqueness. 
the franco-italian queen with all her grand ideas of divine right and high prerogative was not loath to lay them down and aside when they stood in the way of her pleasures she could be a very leveller where self-interest required it and this called for it now the king's failing popularity needed support from all sides classes and parties bad or good humble or gentle and in the assemblage she saw around her there by her own invitation such high bloods as harry german hertford digby coningsby scudamore and the like touched sleeves with men of low birth and lower character very retobates as lundford afterwards designated the bloody and the notorious desperado david hyde the feminine element was equally paralleled by what may be seen in many society gatherings of the present day virtuous ladies brushing skirts with stage courtesans and others who figure under the name of professional beauties many of them bearing high titles of nobility but now debasing them henrietta in her usual way had a pleasant word and smile for all more for the men than the women and sweeter for the younger ones than the old ones but even to the gilded youth they were not distributed impartially handsome hairy german hitherto reigning favorite and having the larger share of them had reason to suspect that his star was upon the wane when he saw the queen's eyes ever and anon turned towards another courtier handsome as himself with more of youth on his side eustace trevor the latter relieved from his duty as gentleman usher had joined the party in the garden socially he had all right to be there son of a welsh knight he could boast of ancestry old as caractacus some of his forebears having served under harry of monmouth and borne victorious banners at agincourt but boasting was not in eustace trevor's line nor conceit of any sort least of all vanity about his personal appearance however handsome others thought him he himself was quite unconscious of it equally so of the queen's admiration callous to the approaches she had commenced making to the chagrin of older favorites not that he was of a cold and passionless nature simply because henrietta de medici though a queen a beautiful woman as well was not the one destined to inspire his first passion for as yet he knew not love but recently having become attached to the court 
in an official capacity he thought only of how he might best perform the duties that had been assigned to him though there might be many envies jealousies even bitter heart-burnings among the people who composed that glittering throng they were on the whole joyous and jubilant a whisper had gone round of the king's determination to return to his old ways and once more boldly confront what they called the aggressions of the parliament these concerned them all for they were all of the class and kind who preyed upon the people groups gathered here and there were merry in mutual congratulations on their fine prospects for the future hoping that like the past it would afford them free plunder of the nation's purse and resources ship tax coal and conduit money once more loans by privy seal and sale of monopolies all jobberies and robberies restored but just at that moment of general rejoicing as a bombshell bursting in the midst of a military camp or regiment of soldiers in close column came a thing that first setting them in a flutter soon seriously alarmed them a thing of human shape withal a man in official robes the uniform of a parliamentary usher from the lords he was announced as waiting outside rather claiming than craving an interview which the king dared not deny him summoned into the audience chamber where charles had gone to receive him he presented the latter with a document the reading of which caused him to tremble and turn pale for it was a bill of attainder that had been agreed to by both houses against thomas wentworth earl of strafford the fluttering among the courtiers became fright when the king returning to the garden made known the usher's errand to his familiars at first but it soon passed from lip to lip and ear to ear none seemed so little affected as strafford himself sin hardened he was also endowed with indomitable courage and maintained a bold high bearing to the last of his life even to the laying of his head upon the block an episode which soon after succeeded the craven monarch signing his death warrant as if it had been a receipt for one of his loans by privy seal far more frightened by the parliamentary message was archbishop laud for him no more pleasure that day in the gardens of whitehall his smiles and simpering all gone with pallid cheek and clouded brow the wretched ecclesiastic wandered around among the courtiers seeming distraught and so he was 
for in that bill of attainder he read his own doom read it aright grand glorious parliament that knew not only how to impeach but punish the betrayers of the people knew also how to maintain its own dignity and honor as on a later occasion when the king once more maddened by the stinging taunts of his wicked wife entered the august assembly with an escort of bullies and bravos lunsford and hyde among them to arrest six of england's most illustrious patriots an attempt eminently unsuccessful and intrusion handsomely resented as the disappointed monarch and his disreputable following turned to go out again it was with a wonderful come-down in their swagger for along the line of seats on both sides of the house they saw men with scowling faces and hats on their heads heard too in chorus clearly loudly repeated the significant cry privilege End of chapter zero